Tom Brady just yesterday said that he thinks that the game has become mediocre as in the game of football and the product that he sees out there on the football field. How do you feel about where the game is from the product that's on the field standpoint? Well, maybe he's talking about the teams that he played for, but the team that I played for. Yo, 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 welcome to RG3 and the Ones presented by Way Sports and Entertainment. I'm your host, Robert Griffin III, and on this show, we're going to be talking to the Ones. That's right, the Ones at the top of the industry in sports and entertainment. I don't care if they're a rookie or a vet. As long as they study the game and they know their game, they're going to be on this show, and you get a front row seat so that hopefully you can come away from this and take something that helps you become one of one in your own life. When you look at me, I'm just the one that should have been signed by the Cleveland Browns, but you know, somebody just beat me to it. And today, I'm on my Prince vibes. That's right. We're lounging with the velvet gear, all y'all. And don't forget about the fact that I also had an opportunity to race Dabo Sweeney this past weekend in Death Valley, down the hill. That man was running so fast, he made me have to start high-stepping a little bit. But uh, I almost made him fall. But we'll get to that conversation a little bit later. I want you guys to like and subscribe to our YouTube page at RG3 and the ones on social media as well. And listen, wherever you get your podcast. Coming up on this episode, I'm going to need all the Russell Wilson haters to please stand up. What you got to say now? But before we get to all that, I know this week is Thanksgiving. So we're going to give y'all not one, but two guests. And who better to start it off with than a Detroit Lions legend himself? I'm talking about the one who's an MVP, the one who's a Heisman Trophy winner, the 10-time Pro Bowler and a Hall of Fame running back. And to many people, he's one of the greatest running backs of all time. But to me, he's a friend. Barry Sanders, welcome to the show, my brother. How's it going, Rob? It's going good. Haven't seen you since we were on Monday Night Countdown together a few weeks back. Uh, how's life treating you? No, it's really good, man. I'm just gearing up for for the holidays and and uh, glad to be spending a few few minutes with you with uh, with you on your show. Oh man, I appreciate you coming on, and I also got to say thank you for allowing me to grace the cover of NCAA uh, 13 with you way back in the day. It was an honor. My parents got to meet you. Uh, hopefully, they didn't fan out too hard. But uh, do you remember that that time at all a little bit? Oh yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember meeting you fresh, fresh out of college. I, I think, <laughs> right? Um, yes, sir. You know, and uh, no, yeah, that was that was big for me too, man. I, I enjoyed that. No, nah, it's uh, trust me. Mo- most people would say, you know, they want to be on the cover by themselves, but for the fact that I had an opportunity to be on with you, an all-time great uh, Oklahoma State Big Twelve family, uh, is truly something that I cherish to this day. Uh, did you ever happen to, to play that video game? Did I play that one? Well, I have I have teenage sons, so they very rarely <laughs> let me on the game. You know, it's hard it's hard to get in there. You know, I mean, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I, but I had, a, had a few copies though. I should also thank you for for uh, making room for me on that cover as well, man. You know, for not just hogging the whole cover for sharing sharing it with me. So I, I appreciate that. <laughs> No, see, the, the fact that you, the, the one of the greatest running backs, if not the greatest running back of all time, just said that speaks to how humble you are um, and just how gracious it's and great it's been to, to know you, man. Um, I know a lot of people uh, in my position cherish the opportunity to get to talk to you. So once again, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, and let's get right into it, man. You know, you got your your Bye Bye Barry documentary coming out. Um, just what influenced you to want to do that now? 
Uh, the reason why I did it now, Rob, is because, you know, the, the one, the good folks uh, at Prime Video at NFL Films, um, you know, they really wanted to get behind this. Um, you know, I wrote a book about 20 years ago. A lot has happened since then. Um, had a chance to really reflect uh, on, on a lot of things. And, you know, back when I wrote the book, I, I probably wasn't really ready to talk about retirement and a lot of other things. Um you know, so at this point, you know, I guess at this point in my life, it was a good time just to sit back and reflect and go over a lot of those things. Um, I feel like a lot of fans still ask me about it, you know, a lot of questions regarding my career. And so it was really a way to answer a lot of those questions um, about retirement, about playing for the Lions, you know, about a lot of other stuff. The timing was right. I was ready to sit down, devote really the, the time and energy into um into really getting into um the story and and so that's really why um we we're doing it now. Yeah, you know, your your resume speaks for itself. I mean, highly decorated, four-time NFL rushing champ, two-time offensive player of the year. I mean, you went into the Hall of Fame at 36. I mean, I think you're the youngest person ever inducted into the Hall of Fame. So you constantly get these questions about why did you retire at that time? Uh, why did you retire early in, in many people's eyes? And you just felt like, you know what, instead of constantly doing interview after interview after interview, I'm just going to go ahead and do a documentary on it and, and answer all those questions. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I think a lot of the questions will be answered um, from the documentary. I think, you know, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I think I was sort of comfortable with that format. I could just speak with my own voice. Um, right. You know, they, they uh, you know, and they even made it easier even by including my sons um, in it um, and, and even having them ask some of the questions. It's interesting because, you know, when we, we were first, uh, when we were first talking about and discussing the documentary, um, I was assuming that I was just going to tell them about my trip to London you know, but NFL films and prime video was like, no, 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 we want to, we want, <laughs> we want to get on a plane and, and travel to London for a few days and, and uh, oh. go to some of the places you went to and, and, and kind of get in your mind and take your sons with you. And so, um, that part of, well, that part was kind of neat. Um, my sons that, that, that was, I think that was their favorite part. Um, you know, they're looking, they're looking forward to going back to London for some reason. Um, you know, and, and so, um, things like that really made it easy for me. Um, you know, and, and, but yeah, it was, you know, I, I think, um, a lot of questions will be answered. Um, and hopefully, you know, the fans, the fans will enjoy it. No, I think the fans will certainly enjoy it. I mean, we, we all enjoyed watching you go out on the field and shake people out their shoes, right? I, I call it teaching them how to do the, the, the cha-cha out there on the field, the cleats over here because you <laughs> shook them and you run in the other direction. But for you in this documentary, you know, I've always been fascinated with this topic with you uh, about the retirement and about the way your career uh, went. What was the hardest part of shooting the documentary? The hardest part of shooting? Well, we shot in a lot of different locations. Okay. Um, you know, and, and I think just having, you know, having um, I'm not used to having cameras around that often. And so that was probably the most difficult part, um, which I, you know, after a while I got used to it. But, um, you know, we shot in London, like I mentioned, we shot shot in Stillwater. We shot in various locations in Kansas. Um, you know, I was I was, um, you know, I played in a high school all star game when I was a senior in high school. And so they still have that game. And so we were there this year. Um, you know, it's called the Shrine Bowl. And so we shot the Shrine Bowl. Um, they talked to, 
you know. And so, yes, there were so many different locations. Um, we there, there was a family reunion um, back th- this summer that that we shot at. I mean, so um, it was a lot of detail, a lot, a lot of uh, so. Yeah, I think just logistically trying to trying to uh, match up everything with different locations and having everyone there and, and um, you know, uh, and that kind of thing um, was probably the most challenging part of it. Okay. You, now you mentioned Stillwater and I had an opportunity to talk to one of your old teammates, Mike Gundy, uh, this past year, you know, with Ollie Gordon, the second playing as well as he has in, in college football, uh, I believe either tied or, or leading the, the country in rushing. And he, would, he told me the story about how you didn't like the cameras to be around and how you didn't like to, to, people to tell you that you were good. Um, where, where did that necessarily come from? Uh, it's, it's not the humbleness. It's just the, the matter of fact of you just wanted to be a, a great player and you want to be a great teammate, uh, but you didn't want that spotlight to constantly be shined on you with the cameras around. Why, why was that? I think, Rob, honestly, it was just maybe it's um, part of the era that I grew up in. Um, I didn't. You know, I wasn't heavily recruited, um, and so I wasn't, uh, you know, so the the whole thing about receiving that kind of attention was something I really had to get used to, um, you know, and, and um, you know, it, it, it really, I mean, I'm, I think also part of it is I didn't grow up in that, the ESPN generation, uh, so to speak, um, you know, and, and, uh, and so, that's the part of it that uh, for me, I really, you know, had to work at and, and understand uh, it wasn't going anywhere. You know, it is only going to get bigger and better. Um, and so um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think for me, that's that's the thing that, you know, when you're when I was running wind sprints and training and things like that, um, I was just working on, you know, my skill set and things like that. I never I never even fathom. <clears throat> one, I never fathomed that I'd be in the position where I'd have to talk about my, my, um, my game. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I never even thought about it. Whereas today, you know, kids understand that's like a part of it. You know, you want, you want right. to be out there, you know, where in my formative years, that's not even something that entered my mind. Um, you know, and, uh, um, you know, the, the only sports journalist when I was growing up was a guy named Howard Cosell, which I'm sure you've heard of him. Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> you know, but, but um, you know, so it's just interesting that I found myself in a situation where I do get a chance to talk about my game and people are interested in what I have to say. But uh, it's just it's just something that, you know, in my formative years, you know, I'm obviously there were guys who love being in front of the camera like Dion and guys like that, <clears throat> you know. Um, but, um, I feel like there were, there were, there weren't as many and it was more, um, you know, so for me, it's just not something that I put a lot of thought and effort into. Um, and I, you know, had to learn really, um, come up to speed, you know, when I went to college and, and obviously as I entered into the pros. No, I mean, that, that completely makes sense. And you talk about the pros and like just the changes from the time when you played for the Lions to now, I mean, the Detroit Lions of today, uh, you know, second in the NFC, the number two seed behind the Eagles, uh, sitting there at eight and two, had an amazing game this past weekend where I believe they kind of flipped the script, right? They used to be the team that would be up two scores or three minutes left in the game, and and then they would find a way to lose it. Well, now they're the team that's down two scores or three minutes left in the game and finds a way to win. I feel like that makes them like the brand new 
Detroit Lions. How impressed have you been with their one-two punch at running back? I've heard them called Rhythm and Brews or Rhythm and Blues with David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. Uh, are they making you proud back there in that Lions backfield? Oh, yeah. Hey, Rob, the Lions, they're going to be a problem, man. They're going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they which are. I, which I saw, which really you saw you saw at the end of last season, you know, how they um, – I don't know how many – Games they won out of, out of the last handful, but but they won most of the uh, of the games at the end of the uh, the season last year. They bumped the the uh, Packers out of the playoffs. Yes, they uh, did. And they looked like they were the team who had something to play for when yeah. when um, you know when the Packers obviously were playing for uh, a playoff berth. So, um, but you talk about Jameer Gibbs, you talk about David Montgomery. Um, you know, just um, just a great combination. They've added, you know, it's just a great one-two punch, like you said. Um, and really, you know, David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs, um, Jerry Goff, you know, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, I mean, others. I mean, they're, they're you know, the Laporta kid, the tight end. Um, and then you go on to the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they're, they're making plays. You, you you see the strip sack uh, Aiden Hutchinson made to, to end the game. Um, I mean, you know, just, just – um, you know, we're seeing the team really come together in a way that we Lions fans have been hoping for for many years. Um, you know, and and um, I think last last week also was was um, a game that could be highlighted and sort of a turning point because when you when you turn the ball over, I don't know how many you know three times or whatever, and still are able to find a way to come out with a victory. Um, I mean, that says a lot. You know, so. To be sitting there at I think eight and two or whatever it is, um, leading the division, um, you know, and and uh, it's it's all right there in front of them. I mean, I know Philly Philly won last night, um, you know, and you got to have them probably as the favorite, but but um, we're we're right there with them. I mean, you you know, um, you look at other teams in the NFC, whether it's the Cowboys or whether it's um, the Niners, obviously are going to be there. Um, I feel good about our our squad, our team. And and Coach Campbell, um, you know, you have to tip your hat off to the job he's been able to do. Um, you know, he's really he's really changed changed the culture. Like Barry, for for you with a guy like Dan Campbell telling you know people when he comes in, we're going to be biting off kneecaps. Like for a player of your stature, what is it about Dan Campbell that would make you want to play for him? I think you know he has a certain amount of he he has um demanded certain things that um he's demanded excellence you know and he's yeah. demanded um that the players play hard from start to finish um you know that he 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 has expects you know he, he's instilled a culture that expects to win um you know obviously you've gotten you've been able to get uh, a really solid roster with great yep. um chemistry you know but but um but he's one of those guys that you could almost see him you know, strapping it up himself. You know, you can see <laughs> <laughs> for real, man. You, know, you, no can see, doubt about you can it. see him strapping it up himself, man. You know, they, they probably they probably have to, you know, they probably have to uh, sometimes take take the helmet and shoulder press from the coach. You know, it's like, no, coach, you're not shoot, you're not suiting up today, coach. You know, you're, you're coaching. You know, you're not you're not playing today. But um, he just seems like <laughs> he just seems like one of those guys, you know, that that you could line up with. Um, you know, but he's been a great motivator and. <clears throat> and a yeah. great players coach, um, you know, and, and um, he between him, Brad Holmes and others, Chris Millman just made the right moves of uh, really getting all the right guys in the building as well. You know, yeah, uh, that, they, that really, they really have. 
that definitely matters. And you know it better than anybody. And, you know, obviously for the Lions, it has not been a mediocre season, right? It's been a transcendent season based off of the history and how they've been able to turn things around. But another GOAT out there and Tom Brady just yesterday said that he thinks that the game has become mediocre, as in the game of football and the product that he sees out there on the football field. Uh, for you, when you watch the game and you're seeing your Lions go out there and do what they've been able to accomplish, uh, which is something that the fans have been asking for and begging for and cheering for for a really, really long time, how do you feel about where the game is from the product that's on the field standpoint? Well, maybe he's talking about the teams that he played for, but the team that I played for, <laughs> the team that I played for, no, it's anything but mediocre. No, I think I, you know, I, I thought I saw that comment somewhere. Um, and yeah. um, hey, look, for us as Lions fans, maybe maybe I just have blinders on <laughs> <laughs> because because of how um, we're leading the division, um, you know, how well we're playing. Then, uh, but I. You know, I still see a great product. Um, I still see, you know, great, great teams, you know, and, and uh, a very popular game, um, you know. But I would, um, you know, I would listen to anything he has to say. And, in, in in, 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 um, you know, I like I have to get into more detail what he actually is referring to. But, hey, look, I think this is, you know, this is like the greatest product, you know, the greatest thing we've ever seen as Lions fans. So, so there you go. I'm going to enjoy, <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, I'm not I'm not mad at you, Barry. And I know the I know the Detroit Lions fans ain't mad about it either. They're gonna enjoy this run. Oh, but that brings me to my next point, which I think is a very important one, because I grew up idolizing guys like yourself. Uh in the in the backyard, throwing the ball to myself. Woohoo, Barry Sanders hits him with the juke, all that. And I feel like the game is missing that right now because of the devaluing of the running back position. Uh just what's your feeling about how running backs are being treated now as opposed to the way that you guys were treated back in the day when you were like the cornerstone of the franchise. It's certainly a different game in that respect. Um, and, um, and, you know, and, and there's been fantastic quarterback play as well over the last, you know, 10, 20 years or whatever. Um, but certainly teams, um, you know, teams have placed a different value on um, the running game and and that kind of thing, which which for me, I still think that um, there's a place, you know, there's a place in the game. Um, you'd look at uh, what Chris McCaffrey's done. You look at Derrick Henry. Um, you look at you know so many others, uh, and I still think that you still have um, you still have to have you know that kind of balance. Um, even um, even even as high flying of a of a team as as take as a, an example the Dolphins are, um, you still have Raheem Mostert, who's who's at the top of the league in rushing, um, you know, and, and so um, and so I think that, you know, as, you know, another example, uh, you look at what happened this offseason with the Giants and and um, and Saquon Barkley. Uh, I don't think I don't think that, that you can you know, you can prove to me that that team is better off without them, um, you know, and and um and even in our division, you know, you look at the Vikings without Dalvin Cook. Um, I don't, I don't think that you can say that they're a better team without him. Um, you know, so I just, you know, again, and then, and then, you know, even closer to home, like we had talked about before, you look at the Lions and their and their running attack. Um, you know, that that last drive of the game, 
you know, they uh, with, against the Bears this weekend, um, you know, they ran the ball more times than they passed it. I uh, was able yeah. to win the game with it on that drive, but even all season, um, they they want to establish the run, um, and so I think there's a lot, just a lot of examples of teams, um, you know, that um, that uh, go against that, you know, that right. that kind of trend. Um, the young running, you know, the young running back in in in, in Atlanta, you know, uh, the uh, John Robinson, the, yeah. John Robinson. You know, I'm excited to see what what he does, but he's you know he's shown that he's going to be a force at running back, you know. St- um, you know, Stephon Taylor. I mean, so I think there's a lot of examples. I, I can name a lot of a lot of um, running backs out there. Um, but at the same time, you can't deny that there's certainly been that trend. You look at the last 10 years of obviously guys like Peyton Manning and, and guys like Tom Brady and Drew Brees. And, and uh, there's, you know, a lot of names you can throw in there. There was just uh, – and now, obviously, Patrick Mahomes. Um, there's been fantastic quarterback play, and there's nothing against that. But I still think you can point to uh, teams that run the ball, um, like the Niners, who, who you know, they they've obviously figured out a way to <laughs> run the ball in today's NFL, um, right. which is a team I know I I enjoy watching, um, you know, and and so um, so I think it'll be Rob. I think it'll be interesting just to see kind of where that goes over the next few years. But I'm just I'm just not convinced. I guess my bottom line and my answer to your question is. Um, I just, I'm not convinced um, that that's that that's uh, you know um, the answer, you know, for teams, you know, that that right. uh, that to devalue the running game and running backs, right. um, and we'll we'll see where it goes. Okay, uh, you know, you brought up the lines in in that last drive that they had with David Montgomery and, and Jameer Gibbs, and got to say shout out to David Montgomery being able to score the game winning touchdown against his former team, as they say, and you know this. Success is the best revenge. So I know it was sweet for him on that one. But I've had conversations with with both Austin Eckler and Adrian Peterson about this very topic. And the question is, Barry, if you were playing today or if you were raising your, your kids and they were young today, would you still allow them to play the running back position based upon how the NFL has devalued it? Oh, absolutely! I'd let him play running back. <laughs> yeah, I have a my my youngest son. He's a junior in high school. He's a running back. He, you know, no, okay. he's playing a little. He's playing some slot too. He's playing a little slot, but he he plays running back. Um, you know, and and um, I still think it's a it's a great position. Um, I still think you have to have a certain special skill set to be able to be successful at it. You know, the ones who you know, show that they have that's that certain skill set and certain abilities. Um, I think will be re- rewarded for it. You know, but now you know you you certainly have to be more you know willing and capable of um, you know being involved in the passing game. You know, which is which is fine. Um, you know, which you, you're seeing that with with a lot of running backs. You know, but but uh, but yeah, for me, I still think it's a it's a great position and a great uh, way to a- affect the game. So I know Adrian. I know he agrees with me, <laughs> uh, and uh, but but yeah, you really you look at the stats, um, you know, and and even like you know I, I didn't mention guys like Zeke, you know, look at what Zeke meant to the Cowboys over the last few years before before he you know before he went on and and um, you know Josh Jacobs kid with the Raiders, I mean, um, you know I don't I don't you know I don't understand Rob how Derrick Henry finishes a game with ten or fifteen carries. Um, nah, that makes I don't, no sense. I don't, yeah. you know, not. I don't want to go go too far off the script, but I just don't. I don't understand why he's not getting 30, 40 carries a game. Um, right. You know, but 
but um, but anyway, so so and he and he's proven, you know, certainly in today's world that uh, you can you can certainly run the football. I just don't don't think he's running the ball enough. No doubt about it. And and it's funny you say that because Adrian still thinks he can play today. But he he's he's saying that he wouldn't have his kids play running back. He'd have them play a different spot because really? of the way they're devaluing it. So you guys disagree on that. But I guess the question would be for for you, if you were playing today and you were in, you know, middle school, junior high, high school, would you still play running back? I think I would just because I've always I've always loved the position. I didn't just play it just because it was a position on the field. Um, I was right. just and I was inspired by it. You know, I was inspired seeing those guys that played before me um, okay. and and that kind of thing, whether it's like a Earl Campbell or whether it's like a Tony Dorsett, uh, Eric Dickerson. Um, I mean, so many long list of guys who, who played, you know, Herschel Walkers of the world, Bo Jackson's. I mean, you know, Marcus Allen, one of my all time favorite, um, you know, there was a whole, you know, Billy Sims. I mean, there were so many guys that just inspired me. Um, to play the game, <laughs> play, yeah, so, you, so you listed I, off some great ones now. Yeah, Come on. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and of course, my my dad's all time favorite was Jim Brown. Um, you know, and and then you'd hear these legendary stories about this guy named Gail Sayers, who was before his time. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, so for me, it was I was just inspired. Um, you know, by all these personalities and guys and and. You know, just how they ran and how I felt when I saw them run the run the ball. I was like, oh no, I want to, I want to do that. Some people make those kind of, you know, those, so those are almost those are almost um, economic decisions. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, one hundred percent economic decisions. Um, yes. You know, so I was I was playing just for the love of it. Um, I wasn't thinking about the economics of it as you know in my formative years, which is, mm-hmm. hey, was just nothing wrong with. There's nothing wrong with, you know, sort of thinking ahead about, <laughs> about the economics <laughs> of it. You know, like someone like Adrian. See, Adrian, at a young age, he knew he was going to the league. <laughs> I mean, did you see this, man? His freshman yeah. year in Oklahoma. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, you, I'm pretty sure about middle school. It's like, oh, yeah, I have a good idea where he's going to end up. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. So, uh, Barry, I got to ask this question. Just if you could do it all over again, right, and and play the way that you played, would you still do it the same way as far as the early retirement? I think so, Rob. I, I think so. I think that's just where I was at that point in my life. Um, and um, you, you you use the word early, you know. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I. Um, it's funny because I think when I was playing, the average lifespan of a running back was like. 3.2 years or something, something like that, you know? Um, and I had a chance to play for 10 years. Um, you know, I certainly had more in the tank and I'm grateful for that. But I also, um, at, at 10 years and even, maybe, maybe even before year 10, you know, I, um, I look forward to those days when I wasn't playing. Um, you know, there was something about me that, that, uh, did look forward to it. Um, and, and whatever that was, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't know exactly when that would be, um, <clears throat> but there was just something in me that that uh, said, yeah, I, you know, I, I look forward to those days when, you know, when I'm not, not playing football and I'm doing something else, um, you know, because I played all my life, you know, um, 10 years in the NFL. And, you know, I think around 10 years even um, before making it to the NFL. And so and so, yeah. And so I don't, now I don't know that 
I don't know that I would do it by facts. I don't know that I would retire by facts. Um, you know, which which a lot of people today don't know what a fax machine is. <laughs> you know, that was I mean, Rob, back then that was cutting edge technology, man. The fax machine <laughs> retired by a fax machine. <laughs> but um, but I think, you know, I mean, as far as I can as far as I can sort of um answer that question, I, I think I would I think I would do it at the same way, um, you know, and, and um, around the same time. So, yes. Nah, man, I, I appreciate you and, and just want to say thank you again uh, for coming on the show, uh, being open. I can't wait to check out the documentary. Um, so many questions that I have. I wish I could sit here and talk to you for hours, but I know you don't. You have you got other things to do. You know, you got a, you got a juking job all the way through this whole media media thing and, and have fun doing it. So thank you for coming on the show and, and got to say thank you also for the Heisman house moment that we had uh, <laughs> when you were, when you were sleeping, the, the best thing about it was you, you played it off perfectly and you were gracious in that moment. Wasn't trying to uh, embarrass you or anything like no, that. It was just no. a fun, fun loving moment. And, and you, you played it up truly. So thank you for, for everything, man. And uh, hopefully I get the chance to see you soon again. And, you know, rooting for your, uh, your Detroit Lions to continue to go out and, and make you proud, my brother. No, I appreciate it, man. As far as the Heisman House thing, I mean, I think it just showed how much harder I worked at acting. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know how much harder, how much of myself, you know, how much more of myself I'm giving to the to the art. You know, you were get, <laughs> hey, you were on it now. You was you was acting like a mom, right. man, doing your thing. That's why you had to rest. Right, right, you had exactly. to rest, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. No, but no, beautiful. Um, love catching up with you. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, let's do it again sometime for sure, man. All right, people want to say thank you to Barry Sanders for coming on RG3 and the ones and dropping all that knowledge that he just did. And next up, we've got the one who is the five time SEC player of the week. And he just threw eight touchdowns. Well, he didn't throw eight touchdowns. He threw six and ran for two. He's the LSU star quarterback, the leader in the Heisman Trophy race all the way from San Bernardino, California. I'm talking about this man who will be a legend, Jaden Daniels. Welcome to the show, my brother. How you doing, my brother? Appreciate you for having me. Hey, man, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. Uh, I do have to say that y'all's fans may be the craziest fans in the entire country. <laughs> I had you on the Heisman list at number three last week, and I think I'm still hearing about it right now. <laughs> but I got to say, after the performance you had against Georgia State, I don't care who it was against. Uh, eight touchdowns is eight touchdowns, man. You are certainly leading that race. How grateful are you to the fans for the support that you get being there at LSU? I'm very grateful. I mean, they, they go they go to bat for what they believe is, is fact. So they're going to give somebody a hard time no matter who you are. No doubt about it. And, and the thing I, I noticed about this past game was, uh, you know, you had said that you're chasing greatness. And one of the greatest quarterbacks LSU has ever had is Joe Burrow. You tied his record for touchdowns uh, in a game in SEC history with eight. Uh, were you trying to get nine? Oh, for sure. hundred <laughs> percent I was. No, like I said, records are meant to be broken. So I wish I had another one, but I was for sure trying to get nine. Okay, so you're saying that this week against A&M, is that the goal? Hey, we got a season finale, so we'll see. We'll see what's out there. I like it. I like it. So – just talk to me a little bit about your journey in the very beginning. Um, I read that at one point you were 5'10", 137 pounds as a starter in high school. 
just talk about that maturation process from then to what you have become now at LSU. It was wild. Um, I mean, I've been starting, I, I started as a true freshman in high school. So um, most people don't know that I had to get a waiver signed to play varsity football. The doctors had to sign off. It allowed me to play varsity football. And uh, the first one, the first doctor I went to didn't sign off on it. It was like, no, I, I, you can't play. And then we had to go to the second doctor because I was like, man, I really want to play. And, you know, I'd be able to play stars as a freshman on varsity, you know, not too many people could do that. Um, so I had to get that waiver signed. And then from there, it kind of just transcend, um, you know, just to the path I'm on now. And then kind of like my sophomore year, I, I didn't have the best season because I, I broke my pinky, but I played the whole year uh, through that on my throwing hand. So, you know, it's kind of hard throwing. And, you know, you got a broken broken a pinky. It's kind of hard to throw the football and grip it. And then uh, my junior and senior, that's, that's when uh, I kind of just took off. You know, we won championships there. Um, and then from there, it led me to, to college and now to this point. Now, I want to I want to point out that you said that not everybody can start as a true freshman in high school on the varsity team. And you're talking to a guy who did not start as a true freshman on his high school team. I didn't even start till I was a junior. So the fact that you were out there balling out at 5'10", 137, having to get waivers signed by doctors to go play varsity football just spoke to, you know, how great of a player that you were. But I did read an article somewhere that said that your dad, Jay, didn't really want you to be a quarterback. He wanted you to kind of follow in his footsteps. Is that true? That is, that is 100% true. He didn't, he didn't want me to play quarterback. He uh, <laughs> he kind of knew at some point I hit a growth spurt, I'd be tall. So, you know, he wanted me to follow his footsteps and, and play DB. Right. And then, me, you know, I watching Michael Vick and I'm watching Donovan McNabb and all those guys. I'm like, man, I want to be like them. So, you know, everybody grew up watching Mike Vick. So it's like from there, I just want to play, have the ball in my hand and go play quarterback. No, nah, that's that's phenomenal. But part of being a DB is having sweet feet. So how how much of your dad do you think in the, the training that he tried to put you through early on to be a corner has translated to you having sweet feet in the pocket and out of the pocket as a quarterback? Man, that helps out. Uh, I mean, I, that's what I say is one of my best traits. You know, especially quarterback, you got to have quick feet. You know, oh, yeah. You can't, you can't be slow. You know, other than that, and D lineman will get you, people will tackle you. So uh, it helps out a lot, you know, especially just all that training I was doing, the different cone drills and, and stuff like that, ladder drills, having fast feet. Now I, I can really translate that to my game now, inside and outside the pocket, like you just said. Right. Did, did you like the fact that your dad um... – Said that you were a real life human string bean. <laughs> Man, he, he got so many jokes. You know, I, I didn't heard it my whole life. So at this point, it is what it is. We just go back and forth with it. <laughs> no, no doubt about it. And you know, you talk about that transition through high school, right? Then you you go to Arizona State, and you become the first true freshman quarterback to start at Arizona State. Just talk about that process of getting on campus and like getting to know new, the new teammates and and how you were able to win that job. Yeah, so uh, Antonio Pierce and Herm Edwards they recruited me. Uh, and, you know, they they basically told me like, come here, uh, you got an opportunity to come and play early. You know, if you handle business, they didn't promise me nothing, but like you handle business, you have the opportunity too. So it's funny, I actually got on campus and uh, the first person I met, it's, it's one of my best friends to this day, is Brandon Ayuk. So, you know, that's my dog. So I, I remember I first got up there and, and he, we, he was like, man, come on, we got to go throw. That's the first thing he said. And, 
uh, from there, he kind of just took me under his wing, and you know, we just built that bond and that that uh, friendship. Um, and you know, it, it lasts to this day. You know, we, we talk every other day. So at this point, he like he that's a big bro. And from there, you know, earning the trust of my teammates through spring ball. You know, I, I had a good spring. Um, I think what people knew about me. You know, I didn't throw I didn't throw an interception until the last day of spring ball. <laughs> the last day of spring ball so you know everybody was trying to give me all the dbs and everything so just building that competitive nature and kind of fall camp in the summer you know that's kind of why i just took over everybody was like okay this kid this kid could be something you know his team no nah, i mean the the fact that you were able to do that like anytime you can make history somewhere that you go it, it shows the, the truly kind of special player that you are but i also saw somewhere that you you just mentioned Donovan McNabb, Michael Vick, uh, Cam Newton, I believe, is another guy that you grew up watching, you know, pattern your game after these guys. But there was a certain guy that your dad used to make you watch all the time on repeat. He had a game-winning 92-yard drive in the Super Bowl. Who was that guy, and, and why did he make you watch him so much? The guy you're talking about was Joe Montana. I mean, he grew up – he's a big 49er fan uh, – so, you know, he grew up around those times where, you know, it was one of the Super Bowls, Joe Montana, uh, Ronnie Lott, Jerry Rice, all those guys, all those greats. So he knew when I said I wanted to play quarterback, he knew, okay, why not model yourself after one of the greatest, especially in his eyes, you know, just how everybody called him Joe Cool for a reason. So, you know, and when I, like he said, I think it was like a quote, he said, like, when the moment when the moment gets tough and, you know, tension, tension is high, you know, you just got to focus on your training and stay calm. Uh, so me just watching him is kind of just like, man, if he could do it, at some point I could do it, you know, even when everybody's watching, especially like you said, 92-yard drives in the Super Bowl, you know, that's kind of the, that's the biggest moment of your career. So uh, he he obviously uh, put that in front of me. He's like, man, I want you to model this um, and, you know, kind of just take little bits and pieces from it. But for me, it's kind of like uh, if you stay remain the same, stay even killed, you'll you get through anything. Nah, and you've done that this year. You know, a lot of people have equated um, your Heisman year to the Heisman year we had at Baylor uh, with the three losses. You know, obviously it didn't play in the SEC. You've played against uh, the, the toughest strength of schedule in the entire country, and you've always shown up in those big games, cool, calm, and collected. Uh, I've always been impressed about that from you. So you're certainly applying that Joe Montana mindset, but it also brings to mind... Would it be a dream of your dad's for you to end up with the San Francisco 49ers? Oh, probably 100%. <laughs> you know, that's something that, that's something, you know, if he growing up, he a big 49er fan to see his son go out there and actually throw on, him, on the uniform, it, it would be all full circle. So 100% it would be. But I know at some point he's going to be happy wherever I go. Uh, no doubt about it. And, and obviously, uh, the Niners have Brock Purdy, uh, yeah. but they've also got the guy you said, you know, your best friend, you know, yeah, you the, the Brandon Ayu, and he's a beast. Um, he, he is a dude. He's a number one for show. So uh, it's always nice when those number ones come knocking on your door like, hey, man, let's go throw. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So for you, after, you know, you had the freshman year, um, you come back the next year, and then I think you had your third season there, and that's when everything kind of fell apart. Uh, there just with the program in general. Um, so I have to ask, like for you, why was LSU the place you wanted to go once you entered the transfer portal? Yeah, so when I entered the portal, it's kind of like a, a lot of unknown, honestly. Uh, everybody's blowing on my phone, uh, coaches calling me. And then for me, it was like, I don't want to go somewhere in the Pac-12, you know, because – 
at that point, I might as well just stay at Arizona State. So it was like, I want to go somewhere else. And then, uh, you know, I had, I had other opportunities. Uh, and then LSU came calling. And I was like, Coach Kelly, obviously what he done in Notre Dame, he's an offensive-minded head coach. Um, and I had the opportunity to come here and, you know, compete. Uh, and, you know, you don't get that many opportunities uh, to come to a blue-collar program like this because uh, they always got guys recycling through. So uh, me having an opportunity, I could have passed up. And, you know, now it, I would have changed it for the world. Yeah, you, you say that. And, and I always wonder this. People who aren't in the player's shoes don't quite understand, like, everything about the transfer portal. And, and just how great it can be because they only see the negative side. They see guys go in, they don't go anywhere. They go somewhere and they transfer two, three, four times. Yeah. Uh, but for you, would you say that the transfer portal changed your life? It for sure changed my life. You know, it's, it's a lot of people that, like you said, have negative thoughts about the transfer portal because they think uh, kids don't have loyalty to the school that they chose. Um, but at the end of the day, it's kind of their, it's the kid's life of what they want to do, what they feel is right. So I would say the transfer would have changed my life for sure. And then when you look at that from, I believe you had three years playing in the Pac-12. Yeah. And now this is your second season playing in the SEC. What's the biggest difference to you from playing the Pac-12 to playing in the SEC? Those big monsters up front. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the guys that's blocking for me and chasing after me. So, you know, you you got, I played against, you know, guys like Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, uh, Dallas Turner, those type of guys, you know, those are freaking natures, you know, be able to be that big and they're moving that fast, able to bend the corner like that. So, you know, that's the biggest difference. Nah, man, I can't lie to you now. That's that's probably you. You you're spot on there. Now I played in the Big <laughs> Twelve, and we had we had some uh, we had some guys on the outside, right? We got some some skilled players that could really really play. Um, but it wasn't until we played the Oklahomas and the Texases that you saw those true big body monsters on the inside. Yeah. And now you're playing up against those them boys at Georgia and Alabama. Uh, and, you know, even the, even the places like Ole Miss, uh, they, they got one or two of them bad boys too. So as a player, like for how was that adjustment for you knowing that, hey, I'm a guy that can use my legs, but I can also use my arm to beat you. I look at you as like the new prototypical NFL quarterback. Right, your triple threat: beating with your mind, beating with your arm, beating with your legs. How much of an adjustment was you in that first year, last year, coming to the SEC, understanding that, ooh, okay, when I go, I got to go a little bit faster because these guys are, are coming. They're you know, three hundred and ten pounds running four fives. It was a big adjustment. I'd say more so, like like you said, when I got to go, I got to go. Uh, you know, they come in, they they they're not stopping either. You know, they try to get you. Uh, they might try to trip you up from behind and stuff like that. Um, but I honestly say the biggest adjustment coming to SEC was uh, just the atmosphere. Uh, you know, I, I, will, I remember we went to Auburn last year, and, you know, that was my first road game in the SEC. And, you know, sold out crowd. It's like light, light shows, everything like that. I'm like, man, what is this? Like, right. I, <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting myself into. So uh, as the year went on, uh, you know, you watch you, – you, uh, on the West Coast, you go up, you growing up, you watching those type of games, seeing the atmosphere and stuff like that. But to actually experience it was a totally different thing. No, I, I, I've called a game there at Jordan Air uh, Stadium at Auburn. Uh, just called one. Now it's not SEC, but was just at, at Clemson with Dabo Sweeney and them, eighty-one thousand. A uh, and M's got a hundred thousand. So it's like uh, SEC football is kind of wild because you you know this as a player. I know it now as a broadcaster. 
traveling to these places is not easy. It ain't. And that's and it's all they got. All right, it's football. And they're going to be there and they're going to be at the tailgates and they're going to cheer and they're going to be loud. So I know that that has to feel good, at least for you, to be able to go to a place like LSU and have the impact that you've had just because of how legendary of a program it is. But I also saw this week that you you were open and honest that you didn't expect this level of success. Uh, and why is that, that you didn't expect that but are grateful for what you have been able to accomplish? Honestly, it's because just like, I didn't know what the platform of LSU can do. Uh, you know, coming here, you kind of just hear stuff like, you, you know, Tyron Matthew, those type of guys, Joe. And then to actually experience the type of platform that LSU has and just the pool and around the world they have, um, all eyes on you. And just, next thing you know, you might go off one game and then your phone, your phone is just blowing up with everybody. Everybody's watching you. They, they text you, talking about they watching you. Uh, keep going, stuff like that. So uh, I didn't really, like, I knew I could win. I could be in a Heisman conversation at some point, but I didn't know to this magnitude of, uh, you know, all eyes are on me and, and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I just didn't really understand until I actually got here uh, and dealt with it this year, the platform that LSU has. No, nah, I'm happy for you, man. Like, uh, and I love it when when guys like yourself who come in humble, hungry, ready to prove themselves, um, after being such a high recruited guy, number two dual threat in your class coming in when you went to Arizona State, uh, because there's no expectation, right? Yeah. You're just coming in trying to prove it. And now you're reaping all the benefits. You know, you, like you said, still got one more to the, the season finale, the regular season finale um, to get it done. But I am happy for you in that way. And you talk about all eyes being on you. There's also the NIL aspect of this. And just how have you used NIL to not just benefit yourself, but also to help others. Yeah, I mean, I had a couple opportunities that I was blessed to get, uh, you know, coming back this year. And um, Beast by Dre was, was able to, you know, uh, I had my own headphone, but I was also able to bless the people around me, you know, because everybody needs some new headphones. Some people might not own a pair of Beats. So for me, that was a big thing uh, to get back to my teammates and get back to the people that support me uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, that's, that's here working, working their tail off, uh, and, you know, just to go out there and show my appreciation to them. So uh, I'll say that's probably the biggest blessing for me in the NIL space is that I can't just – I can take care of myself and take care of the people around me also. Right. And I think there's such a misconception about NIL, Transfer Portal. They call it the wild, wild west. And I'm like, listen, man, you might not understand this at this point, but for me, we didn't, we didn't have NIL, of course. Yeah. And I've seen generations upon generations of players get – uh, as I say, used by the NCAA to become a billion-dollar business. So I, I actually look at the, the portal and NIL as a great opportunity for players to kind of get back what they've all put in because the players have created these brands. So to your point of LSU being able to have all eyes on you and, and really help you lift up, it was the players before you that made LSU what it has eventually become. So the question I have for you is when you look at NIL, just as you're going to be going out the door, uh, are you a fan of it for the players and, and why or why not? I'm most definitely a fan of it. I think, you know, the players that deserve it, they deserve it. Um, you know, just you put in so much work and, and, you know, you're going to college and you're living off a scholarship check uh, and you got to budget that, you know, to pay for your housing and stuff like that and just pay for daily, daily expenses. Uh, so you're able to, 
uh, and some people don't know what, what other people are going, going through in their life and what, what else they have to take care of. So the NIL could, could help ease that process while you focus on football um, also. And then, you know, it's just to a certain point, it's like how much how much do you uh, put into NIL and then, like, where is your main focus at? And then for me, it's like uh, you, still, you still have to make time. You got to focus on the main – keep the main thing the main thing. But, you know, NIL is a great thing, and I think I'm an advocate for it also. Obviously, no. And I'll I'll tell you a quick story just about my time when I was in college, because I think uh, the general fan sometimes thinks that the scholarship is enough. Right. You get a free ride. You go into school uh, to a a massive college. You don't have to pay for anything. And your budgeting breakdown right there is exactly how it goes. You get your stipend. And for me, my stipend in college a while ago. Right. I was 2008. Don't call me old, though. Um, So a while ago, 2008. Even though I know you were born in 2000, so you were eight year old, years old then. So yeah. eight, I'm date, dating myself here. But um, we would get $1,000, $1,200. And I'd have to spend 900 of that on housing. So now I'm sitting here with $300 uh, for the rest of the month that I've got a budget for meals because they didn't give us as many meals as you guys get nowadays. Yeah. Um, gas for the car, whatever it may be. So oftentimes I was having to manage with about a hundred bucks for the majority of the month to be able to do all these things that are a necessity. And I understand that, you know, I went to Baylor tuitions through the roof, $40,000, whatever it may be to the average fan. They say, well, that should be enough. Well, you know, this as well. We're not just football players. We're student athletes. So we're going to class and we're going to workouts and we're going to lift and we're going to do the extra throwing and we're going to do the study time. So, and we don't get to work. So we don't get the same perks of a student who might be on a full ride scholarship to a university because we can't work and we have no time to do anything else. So NIL, in my opinion, is the best thing for those for the players like yourself to be able to take care of yourself the right way. You help generate a lot of money for these universities. So I think that it's only right that you guys get an opportunity to not just benefit it, but also be able to give back like you have. So kudos to you for, for giving back. Um, you talk about this past game against Georgia State. Like, what was y'all's mindset going into it? Because it felt like to me, like you guys had something to prove. Uh, and that, of course, is that you are the most dynamic football player in the country. And you guys went out and did it. I think this whole week, everybody was just preaching. Like, uh, we knew it was Georgia State, uh, you know, but we can't take an opponent lightly. And you see uh, teams around the SEC was kind of struggling with, with opponents. You know, we obviously had the later game, so we're able to, to look at that type of stuff, like, man, like, this team is over here just struggling. Like, it, it might be up, like, 14 other at halftime or something like that. Um, and for us, we're like, man, we don't want to be one of them teams that, you know, people are looking at, like, you know, as a letdown. Uh, so it was like, man, we just got to go out there. We got to we gotta really just handle business, uh, especially on the offensive side. You know, for us, it's like, man, we've been playing at a, at a high level the whole season. You know, we can't wait till game 11 to – go out there and just try to get through the game. It was like, man, we got to go out and, and make our mark and leave our mark. So, I mean, I kind of started with how the coaching staff was, but I also started with me, uh, you know, just how, how I prepared and how I was leading those guys, you know, getting them in the right mindset to go out there and, you know, we got to dominate no matter who is lined up across from us. Yeah, I mean, dominate you did, man. You went 25 of 30 for 413 yards. You had the six touchdown passes and obviously the two rushing with 96 yards uh, on the ground. I always love it when I when I get a chance to say this line. It's you had more touchdowns than you had incompletions. And the reason I like to say that line is because 
it's something that I did through my college career during the year when we won the Heisman. I think four games in four games into the year, we had more touchdowns than incompletions. Yeah. So when I see those stat lines, I'm like, I mean, that's a Heisman stat line, and, and, and you've really been doing it. Do you feel like when you came to LSU because of all the greatness that that the school has produced, not just at the quarterback spot, like everybody knows Joe Burrow, you're all wishing for him to to fully get back healthy and, and go sure. back and be the guy that he is in the NFL. But you're talking about the guys like like OBJ, like Justin Jefferson, playoff Lenny, Leonard Fournette, sure. um, you know, Super Bowl winners like my colleague uh, Ryan Clark. And yeah. Marcus Spears, guys that are on TV doing their thing. When you ex- when you know that all this greatness is there, did you feel any type of pressure to like uphold that standard or to raise it even more? Uh, I will say, coming back this year, I did feel that pressure. You know, take it take it to another level and uphold the standard. You know, I was the second year. Uh, eyes were on me. I, everybody knew who I was and knew I was a guy. So it was like. Now everybody's going to be looking like, okay, what? Last year we were kind of just trying to fill him out. And, you know, this year's like, man, what what can he do? Like, what what is he going to show us? And um, like I said, I've been on RC uh, since my freshman year of college because uh, I played with his son. His son, there you go. So I've been on RC for, for a while now. Um, and, you know, just, just talking to him, you know, he gave me some advice. And he, obviously LSU is on a, on a different level. You know, everybody holds LSU to a different standard. So it was like, Coming back, you know, I, I was like, man, we, I want to win the Natty, but now, now we you know uh, things happen. You know, we're set up to to go back to back ten win seasons. You know, I don't think that happened in a while. So, you know, just send the send the program in the right way, leaving the program better than what I found it. No, you're set, certainly doing that. And, and when you look at the weight and the height of being at LSU, uh, you're big man on campus for sure. But how cool has it been to have like the national championship women's basketball team with with Angel Reese, the Bayou Barbie and, and Flage? Like how cool has that aspect been of it? Because you guys are collectively continuing to raise that LSU standard. It's dope, honestly. Um, just being able to see them win uh, their national championships and have the success that they have and be able to support them, uh, you know, women's basketball. Uh, baseball, you know, I think uh, gymnastics was in the final four also. So stuff like that, you know, you just around greatness at the end of the day. And that's, that's what LSU brings as a, as a community, as a whole university. Um, you know, you, you're just going to see somebody that's great in their respective sport and respective area. No, it, it's been amazing. And, and honestly, for you, I said this on one of the games earlier this year. I believe it was the Ole Miss game. High scoring affair, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you guys came back and you, I believe you played against Missouri. Yeah. And, and I called both of those games back to back. And in the second game, I was guys, you guys won the game against Mizzou. And I talked about how, at least in my opinion, when I watched the tape of you, you had made the transition from trying to play quarterback to now just playing football. Yeah. And what I meant by that is, you know, we go through this phase as a QB where you're like, coach told me to do this. Coach told me to do that. I want to be a pocket passer because this is what I got to do in the NFL. But I can't forget what God blessed me with. And that's okay. the ability to extend the plays. Like for you, when did that switch happen? Because I clearly see it on tape, but you would know better than anybody else. Honestly, I'll say uh, the Mississippi State game. Okay. That's kind of where I, where, I, where, I flipped, where I flipped the switch. Um, I was already just making, just like you said, just playing football. Uh, instead of just trying to play quarterback, kind of just going out there, you know, 
what the defense is doing. You're just reacting off of them. Yep. Um, and you're out there the game just slowing down. You guys are just you're just playing football at the end of the day, like playing a game that you've been playing your whole life. Um, so I'll say I Mississippi State game, and then from there it's like, okay, I I feel it now, I see it now. Now let's take it to another level. Yeah. Um, and you know, just those type of games that that you've seen is just like, man, no matter what, like the defense might the defense gonna make a call. It's just like at the end of the day, they still got to stop us. They still yeah. got to play football at the end of the day. Yeah, they do. And it certainly helps when you have that, you know, snap moment like, oh, it's not even like I'm that guy. It's more like, oh, everything is a little bit slower now. Yeah, for sure. And and when I'm running, it feels like I'm running 50 percent. I'm actually running 100 percent and they can't stop me. And mm-hmm. if I throw it 30 percent, I'm throwing it 75 percent and I and they can't stop this throw. But me and you both know this. It helps to have some goons on the outside. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and you got some goons with Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas Jr. You got Kyron Lacey. Uh, you got your tight end, Taylor, over there. Just how much of those guys really helped you truly showcase all the skill and talent that you have? i say it works hand-in-hand. Uh, those guys are special on the outside. And that, that's just something that, that goes back to our off-season workout, our late-night throwing sessions. Uh, right. And, you know, just we just built that bond off. Off the field, honestly, you know, we're hanging out. Like we, we're not the type of group that is, like doesn't hang out with each other off the field. Like we right. hang out with each other. You know, we're just building that bond. Honestly, get to know each other more off the field um, and personally. Um, so now, when uh, we're on the field, it's like, man, they know what I'm seeing. I know what they're seeing, and I'm gonna just get them the ball. Uh, and, you know, I know they're gonna get open. I know that they're gonna get to their correct depth. I'm gonna put the ball in the air. You know, they're gonna go make a play. So, I mean, it helps out a lot having those type of guys on the outside making plays. No, it, it really does. And, and it, it brings me right back to that, the Heisman conversation. Like, you are, in my opinion, uh, and I do have a vote, uh, the Heisman frontrunner. And I'm going to put that list out today, uh, you know, because I feel like you've earned that. And when you look at the race and you can sit back and, and have that out-of-body experience, uh, what do you think that – you bring to the game that sets you apart from the rest of the guys in the country? I'll just say just my, my playmaking ability this year, honestly. Um, for me, it's like, you know, I respect those guys that's in the race. Uh, obviously, I, I know Mike Penix. Uh, me and Bo were in the same class. Uh, you know, I've been knowing Bo for a while. Uh, just, just those other guys, and I, I respect what they're doing. Uh, you know, it's not easy, uh, you know, just playing college football and putting up those type of numbers that they put up no matter who competition it is um but for me it's like just my my ability to go out there and make plays and be be the team with my arm and my legs at the end of the day i mean you don't see too many people in the country doing what i what i'm able to do with their with their legs also so uh, i feel like that's what sets me apart no that's uh that's pretty well said uh that's i mean it's honestly perfect what does a traditional day of prep look like you know like in your hardest day when you're you know, lifting weights, watching tape, doing throwing sessions. What does that look like for Jaden Daniels, the Heisman front runner? I mean, I wake up at five in the morning every Monday through Friday, come in here and watch tape. Uh, you know, get in here early, kind of just before everybody else, and I you know just get that time to myself to kind of just buzz through tape, uh, get an idea what the opponent is doing, but also uh, kind of just come up here and it's like therapeutic just come here and just clear your thoughts you you don't have no distraction and stuff like that so i mean i do that monday through friday and then uh 
go back to the crib and I kind of I'm I'm really up here all day honestly uh I get back up here around like 10 30 11 and I don't leave to about uh 7 8 o'clock so uh you know kind of just just getting in that like I said I wanted to come back to college and, and become a pro so uh, I had to do some different things no the first sure I tell people this all the time you sacrifice what some people deem as fun yeah so that you can be great and then you can have fun later you know For what sure. I mean and you're certainly on that right track. So when it comes to studying the game, are you are you like a are you a Madden guy? You you play uh, Madden at all? How do you feel like Madden helps? Because I do think Madden helps. By the way, I think playing the game, being around the game, uh, visually seeing it can help guys in execution. I don't know if I'm alone on that, but <laughs> how do you how do you feel like Madden can kind of help in the way that you see the game? Just with football, honestly, just like kind of just IQ. I mean, I know it's not the real thing, but, you know, just know, kind of seeing what the coverage is doing. Obviously, you know, you can do different things in Madden that, you know, you might not be able to do in real life. Well, you can. Uh, but, you know, not, <laughs> yeah, other sure. people can, but you can. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, I play Madden. I play – I love the game of football. So playing Madden for me is kind of just like another out, outlet to go out there and, and keep my mind sharp with everything and figure out how uh, – I want to call plays to attack a defense um, that I see and kind of just set things up. But also just to go out there and just have fun and just playing playing Madden, you know, playing against your boys. Uh, I play against I play against IU every day, um, <laughs> so it's just that competitive nature that we have. It keeps you it has that competitive edge uh, to no, go out I, there and you know have bragging rights at the end of the day. Exactly. That's all. That's, that's all about is bragging rights. And I've also seen that you have utilized augmented reality, which is mm -hmm. what I went to grad school for when I was at while I was at Baylor. Uh, how has augmented reality helped you uh, in, as a quarterback this year? Well, it helped me out a lot, honestly. Um, I'm I'm doing our playbook against defensive looks that that uh, we think the defense might run at a higher pace, a higher speed than actual the normal speed uh, in real life. So everything's moving faster, and I only have like a certain amount of time to to get the play call and just process information that fast. So I think like it just helps me uh, stay sharp and helps me speed up, go through my progression and stuff like that uh, against different defenses. I mean, they're not going to tell me what defense they they're putting out there. I I got about like eight seconds to as soon as they click, I got about eight seconds to to look at the coverage hear the play call and just go from there and react. No, nah, and for anyone that doesn't know what augmented or virtual reality is. Virtual reality is your headsets that you put on that kind of puts you into another world, which I yeah. think is is what you guys use yeah. uh, there at LSU. Um, and you can simulate defenses and press pressures and your play concepts. Augmented reality would be if, if Jaden put on some glasses and now these people are just popping up in the real world. So that's the difference between augmented reality and virtual reality. But they both accomplish the same goal of being able to simulate certain things or see certain things faster now, the fact that you guys are doing it at a much faster rate than you would in a game, you're telling me that you think that's why the game has potentially slowed down for you even more? Yeah, that has a, that has a huge part, too, to it. Um, you know, you just, like you say, uh, they did a great job, you know, when we played away games to have the away team stadium, like, to a T. Right. Um, and okay. you, you get familiar with it because I, I haven't been in those type of stadiums. So I, it, I'm able to see where the, where the play clocks are, what the scoreboard looks like and stuff like that. And then uh, just get, get familiar with, you know, scoring touchdowns. OK, I love that. And, you know, as a dual threat guy, I, I, I know like what goes into that quick snap decision 
throw, run, throw, run, throw, run, extend or scramble to to get yardage. Yeah. How would you describe that in your own mind when you're in a game uh, to trying to decide, all right, I'm going to go through my read here or, oh, I saw a hole there. I'm going to take it and run. How do you make that decision? I would just say it's kind of like you just, like you said, you understand. It's like you just out there, you're just playing, you're reacting to what exactly. the people are doing. Uh, it's sometimes where, you know, you get to your fourth progression. Fourth progression might be open, but you see a linebacker running. You see trying to make the tackle for about five yards. Right. And you see open lane where it's like, okay, if I take this, you know, I could get 20 or even more. So it's kind of just like you got to pick and choose your battle, and you see them, you're moving off of how the, you're reacting how defenders move. Right. Um, and where they're looking at. And, you know, sometimes I break the pocket, and I'm looking if the defender might try to turn around or he's going to stay plastic to the receiver, you know, because as soon as he makes his decision, I'm reacting off of him. If he right. wants to come up and try to play me, and I see my receiver open, I'm going to give my receiver a chance. Uh, the linebacker wants to come up and wants to chase me down. I see a running back right there. I'm going to pitch it to the running back, you know, let him, let him do his thing. Um, and if not, you know, I'm just going to go for about 15, 20, and, you know, even more. So I definitely got to pick their poison. And I'm just honestly just reacting how how they move. No, nah, I mean, I, I know exactly what you mean. And people, they ask that all the time. I'm like, listen, it's just a feel. Yeah, honestly. Okay. You know what I'm saying? When, when, when Beethoven writes the symphony, he can't tell you how to write the symphony. You just got to <laughs> listen. You know what I mean? Picasso painted a picture. He can't tell you how to paint the picture. You just got to watch. And I think that's the, the cool thing about it, watching you play the game. It is like poetry in motion. And I'm not just saying that because you're, you're here on the show. I'm saying that because that's what I've been saying the entire season. So for you, oh, no problem at all, brother. When you look at this year, you've had a lot of highlight plays. I mean – a lot of highlight plays. <laughs> what has been your favorite play of the season? Uh, my favorite play, honestly, in my opinion, is uh, when I scrambled out again. When we played Army, I stepped through the pocket, scrambled out right through, through the pass to Brian. You know, because that's not a that's not an easy throw uh, to keep him in stride. You know, down the sideline while you scrambling all right uh, with, with people, with guys in your face. So that would probably be my favorite play. Um, just because of how difficult it is and, you know, uh, something like that, you know, fans might think it's easy to make that throw 100 times out of 100 times when, it, when reality is really not. Because that was a throw on the run, correct? Yep. When you're making those throws on the run, basically having to break out of the pocket, um, like the momentum into the throw can sometimes make the ball go right, left, or further yeah. than you want it to be. I understand that fully. Well, what – what do you focus on to make sure that you can not just keep him in bounds, but hit him in stride to like change the trajectory of the throw? Yeah, trying to like trying to get back downhill towards my target. Honestly, uh, you know, I'm trying to go lateral away from the guy, but you know, I still got to make sure uh, fundamentally I'm trying to get back downhill uh, to finish the throw at the target, so I don't push him right out of bounds, or I'm pushing him inside, or I don't throw it too far. Right. Um, so it, it, I say that's my favorite play because the week before that we played Auburn and I kind of had a similar thing rolling out to right and I left it a little short throwing the ball to Malik. So yep. next week I was like, man, I can't miss the throw two times in a row. Uh, so it felt good to be able to hit the throw the week after. Nah, that's the the beauty of playing the position, especially when you're playing at the high level that you are. You make that mistake once, you kind of, you know, you earmark that and you're like, I ain't making that one again. I know how to hit this throw the next time. And, and that's what makes you great because you don't repeat mistakes. You fix them. And then when they show up the next time, you make a play on it. So to get away from a little bit of the college, like for you, when you look at the game at the NFL level, 
right? You already talked about guys that you grew up uh, watching, Michael Vick, Cam Newton, Donovan McNabb, Joe Montana. For you, who would be your top five quarterbacks of all time? All time. Um, Tom Brady. I mean, it's yeah. no order. Tom Brady, Joe smart, Montana. Smart man, by the way. Um, <laughs> Mike Vick's in there for me. Mike Vick is okay. in there for me. I honestly watched a lot of Warren Moon. Ooh, okay. Yeah. A little, little Warren Moon, what okay. he did over in Houston. Uh, being able to meet him, uh, it meant a lot. You met him? Yeah, I met him before. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, you, you watch any of his CFL tape? I have. Hey, he was throwing that thing now. Yeah, man. Warren Moon. Uh, and then uh, Payne Manning. Payne Manning. That's a solid list. When you when you talk about those guys in, in particular, I think you're different than every single one of them. In, in some aspect, uh, shape, form, or fashion, you just bring a little bit of a differentness to your game. And yeah. one of the biggest jumps you've had, we already talked about playing football, not quarterback, but it's also the decisiveness. Mm-hmm. Like when I watched the Georgia State tape, it was no different, in my opinion, than the Ole Miss tape. It was no right. different than the Alabama tape. It was no different than the Mizzou tape. It was no different than the Florida tape. You see it, you read it, you let it go, and you ball out. How did you make that jump? to be more decisive. I know it was a focus of yours coming into the year, but how did you actually apply that and get it done? It was just a constant, like, it started in practice. You know, if I'm seeing something, like, it might not be what the coaches think. I should throw the ball, but it's like, man, I see it. Uh, I trust my guy to go make the play. Um, and I'm going to just throw it. And I'm going to live with it. You know, if it's a completion, you know, the coaches, they, they might not say much. <laughs> uh, if it's an incompletion, they're going to ask you why. Uh, why would you do that? And I always had a, I have a, always have an answer for why I did something. I mean, I'm not just doing something just not to, just to go out there and just do it. You know, for me, it's like, man, if you do something, always have a reason why. Like, you see that you're out there playing the game. I mean, obviously, coaches on the side of the A coach, um, but they're not back there. You know, they're not back there reacting to what they to what you see. Um, and obviously, everybody's on the side. They watch the tape. They ask you why why you went here, but in the moment, it's like, man, I seen this. I'm gonna just throw that. Uh, instead of going through this progression or something like that, I had a one-on-one shot against this coverage, and I felt like I could get the ball before the safety got there and stuff like that. No, I mean, it, it shows up on tape, and I, I, I always – I don't want to feel like I'm – when I'm talking to guys like yourself, like I don't want to feed you answers. I want to hear you talk about how you improve that. I, yeah. I can see it on the tape myself, but for you to be able to articulate that, I think is phenomenal for anyone that's listening – and that decisiveness is something that we can all take off the football field, just in our own lives. Like anytime you do sure. something, have a reason why, why you're doing that. So I asked you about the top five all time. When you look at the game, because I know you love football, so you, you probably watch the NFL, you play Madden, you're using yeah. virtual reality. Uh, who, in your opinion, are the top five quarterbacks in the NFL today? <clears throat> Pat Mahomes. Okay. Uh, Jalen Hurts. Yep. CJ Stroud. Yep, obviously <laughs> Chase Ball. That's my that's my dog right there, he man. CJ Ball. Right uh, Lamar. Yes, sir. Uh, I like how Jared Goff playing right now. Okay, now here's here's the thing. You just gave me four triple threats and one true drop drop back passer, and and to me, that's why you're coming into the NFL at the right time. Because I feel like ten years ago, twenty years ago the top five QBs in the league would have been four drop back passers. 
and and maybe one triple threat. So that makes me feel good because I know that more guys like like ourselves are going to get opportunities in the NFL because that's what they're looking for. And the fact that you just articulated that simple, easy question on the top five quarterbacks to me shows how much the game has changed. And and you're going to spearhead the next change uh, of this game with the way that you play and the bravado that you bring and the leadership that you bring. So I'm speaking that into your life right now, speaking Appreciate life that. into you. And for you, if I, if I was to say this line to you, pick yourself up by the bootstraps, dust yourself off. Nobody's going to feel sorry for you. What does that mean to you? Keep going. Uh, you know, uh, no matter how high or how uh, low you are, I mean, whatever you're going through, if you has, if you're going through some adversity off the field, um, you know you go out there and have a bad game. Uh, nobody's gonna feel sorry how you how you played. Who taught you that, Jaden? My parents, my grandparents, you know everybody. Honestly, you know my my circle. Um, you know they're the ones that taught me that. Like you know handle handle your business and then you deal with everything else after. Nobody's gonna feel sorry how you feel. Nobody's gonna feel sorry if you come to practice and you know you have a bad day at practice. Um, because at the end of the day, you got you got to take care of business, and you know you'll handle your stuff after after practice. But once you're here, you locked into to your your work and your craft, and after that, you do everything else. I read somewhere that that quote I just you know asked you to tell me what that means to you came from your your grandpa, mm-hmm. and I was looking back at your career, and at Arizona State, there was a it was an odd year, yeah, right. Um, you had the 10 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. And normally when I see something like that, it, there's something going on, right? It's something with the team, which we all know uh, it's been well documented what happened um, at Arizona State. But also it's, it can be something that's happening off the field. And I just want to give you an opportunity to share just what happened that year and and how COVID-19 truly impacted your family. It is uh, um, both my grandparents, uh, my dad's parents, uh, they both, they passed uh, kind of within a month of each other uh, due to COVID-19. So uh, dealing with that and then, you know, kind of just having different ways to cope and then, you know, uh, everything's going on uh, at Arizona State. And also, you you know, you're dealing with losing both your grandparents, you know, somebody that, that took care of me uh, since I was young and been a part of my life uh, for 20 years of my life up to that point, uh, you know, it, it was something that I didn't know how to go through. Um, my family didn't know how to go through because, you know, they're losing that and then kind of just having to go out there and having to play football. Um, and, you know, Coach Herman, they were always there for me, but at the end of the day, it's like it's something that you got to deal with inside. And uh, at that point, I wasn't able to uh, keep uh, the main thing the main thing because I was still going through that. Um, and, you know, I wasn't able to to differentiate both, so um, that's what that's what happened during that last year. It's kind of just, and you kind of just lose confidence as you're not playing how you think you can play, and you know you're just dealing with everything, and everything just feel like it's just uh, going wrong. And you kind of just hit adversity, and you feel like you hit rock bottom. Yeah, man, I one appreciate you sharing that and being vulnerable uh, in this moment. And the question I have for you now is. When you were at Arizona State, they didn't get an opportunity to see you yeah. how you are now. If you could say something to them, what would you say 
to your grandma Betty and your papa William? I knew that that uh that they believed in me and they they knew I could do this. Uh especially my grandpa. You know, he he'd probably be calling everybody right now, uh, you know, talking very highly of me. Uh and that's something that he did. You know, he always watching football, he always kept up with everything. Um you know, everything he had heard, you know, he would have been calling, he would have been calling all his friends, you know, he probably walked down the whole neighborhood uh, <laughs> where he's at, you know, just telling everybody how proud he is of me. So, you know, that will be, be the biggest thing for me. Nah, man, I, I think, Jaden, you've certainly made them proud uh, to see you blossom into the player that you become uh, is quite amazing. And, and reading your story and listening to you today uh, has made me even more of a fan uh, of the person you are uh, and the character that you have even more so than the player. But I have to ask because of everything that you have been through uh, in your own life, personal off the field and on the field and, and experiencing the roller coaster of the game of football, what advice would you give to anybody out there that's going through something that doesn't feel like they can see the light at the end of the tunnel? Keep pushing it. And, uh, just keep being you at the end of the day. Uh, always better on yourself. That, that's what I've been taught. You know, it's, it's bet on yourself no matter what. Uh, the odds might seem stacked up against you, but at the end of the day, if you keep betting on yourself and you believe in yourself, I think what Jalen Hurst said it, uh, God had a purpose before everybody else had an opinion. Uh, so, you know, stuff like that, you know, just keep going. Uh, you know, just believe in yourself because – uh, God's not gonna put you to anything that you can't handle. Hey man, that that was a bar, by the way. I heard, I heard when when Jalen said that, I wrote it down. I said that is a bar. I gotta For use sure. that like five years from now when nobody remembers that Jalen said it. I'm gonna go ahead and bust it out there. I'm gonna <laughs> credit him. I'm gonna credit him. For but sure. I gotta make sure we use that one. So before we let you go, because I know you got to get out of here and you, you're on your way to go win the Heisman Trophy. I'm gonna be calling your game against Texas A&M, uh, and I certainly think that you're. You were playing for it. I know you guys are playing to just get another win. And I know A&M's probably saying in their locker room, we don't want to let them win the Heisman on us, just like <laughs> Texas just like Texas did when, when we did it at Baylor. So you, my brother, have been thrilling the audience all season long. You've been really killing it. And I want to say thank you again for coming on the show, but also for showing your faith in God and being willing to talk about it. I heard your last interview in your postgame presser, and you talked about how God – uh, has really set you up for success and and has a calling on your life. So I want to thank you for for sharing that with the people. It's an important message to share and continued success to you throughout the rest of the year, my guy. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. That's Jaden Daniels, your Heisman front runner. He's going to go out there against Texas A&M and try to put it on those Aggies as the Tigers look to roll, not towards just the Heisman Trophy, but another 10-win season. So thank you again to Jaden Daniels for coming on RG3 and the Ones. And I mentioned to him that I was just at Clemson. And let me tell you guys about what happened with Dabo Sweeney. So this weekend, uh, viral moment, I got an opportunity to run down the hill there in Death Valley. And I ran with Dabo Sweeney out onto the field, which he does every single time. He comes down the hill like a maniac, running his tail off to go out and celebrate with the fans. 81,500 of them. So... Dabo actually had no idea that I was going to run out with him. I actually had no idea that Dabo was actually going to kind of cut me off when he was running that fast. But how it came to fruition was my producers and everybody were all on top of it. I had a suggestion that I could run behind Dabo and describe the atmosphere. They bought into it immediately. We executed it perfectly. But the one thing that I didn't know was going to happen was that I almost tripped Dabo Sweeney. 
All right. He ran so fast and I picked up my speed to get near him. But as I started driving my knees, I actually ran too fast and got too close up on him. And all I could see in my mind was my my broadcasting career flash before my eyes. If I had clipped Dabo's back foot, this man at 53 would have hit the ground so hard and it would have been so embarrassing that I don't think they would have let me do the broadcast that day. Luckily, I was able to pull back just enough so that I didn't trip him. And it ended, ended up being one of the most fun moments I've ever had on television. Dabo was literally running like he was late for pregame chapel. It was fun. It was amazing. And his reaction at the end of it was purely genuine. He was surprised to see me, but him pump hitting me in the chest and saying, let's go. And my response being naturally, let's go, ended up making the whole moment that much more fun. So thank you to the Clemson fans. Thank you to all the field operators for allowing that moment to happen. And thank you to my producer, Brian Boyle at ESPN for uh, buying into some of the crazy ideas that I have. But now we all know it's Thanksgiving and I'm sitting here in this uh, velour outfit, as my producer like to call it. So let's have a little bit of Thanksgiving story time. So first and foremost, I got to tell you guys this story about Turkey Day, right? We all have these uh, turkey bowls with our families. So I'm about five, five years old. Uh, and we're we're having our little turkey bowl of our family. My mom and dad were both raised in, uh, born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. So uh, my family is all there. And my uncles, I got Uncle Shane, got Uncle Mike, Uncle Rodney, and my dad, of course. They bring us all out there. I got my cousins, and we're playing football. And this is my first experience of playing turkey bowl football in New Orleans, Louisiana, on the street. So I know y'all normally play it in a field. That's not how we do it in New Orleans. So we get out there. My dad throws me a pass, right? I'm running like a little shallow cross. I catch it. And my Uncle Shane tackles me. Now, remind you, I told y'all I was not on a field. We on the street. This grown man tackles me on the street, scuffs up all my knees and my elbows. I'm crying. Yeah, that's right. Real men cry, especially at five years old. I'm crying. My dad comes over there, picks me up, dusts off my elbows and my knees and says, are you good? Let's keep rolling. Now, granted to y'all, I feel like I'm bleeding out at this point. We go back. We do it again. I run a shallow the other way. This time I'm actually able to juke my grown uncle so he can't tackle me. And I, you know, get a first down, you know, by running out of bounds and not getting tackled or whatever, which is the grass. You know, the curb right there is out of, is out of bounds uh, in street ball. On the third opportunity that I got to catch a ball, not only did my uncle tackle me, but he dang near clotheslined me like he was Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And I actually ran out of bounds, so I thought I was safe. But no, not in street ball in New Orleans. This man clotheslined me out of bounds onto the curb, and that was it after that. I certainly was done after that play, and the whole sport was over because my dad almost started fighting the man. So if all y'all are out there playing in your turkey bowl games, just be sure that you're not tackling five-year-olds or clotheslining them like they're in the WWE on the sidewalk and scuffing up all their entire body. So that was my my turkey bowl story. I enjoyed it. You know, it made me tough for sure. Uh, New Orleans tough. And I don't always claim New Orleans because I only lived there for a year, although my parents were there for 36 years uh, combined between the two of them. Uh, but I certainly understand uh, the hardship that happens in that city and, and – and uh, my first NFL game was actually play, played there as well, which actually brings me to a, another point. 
Uh, first NFL game, right? I get to play in New Orleans, Louisiana with my entire family there. Had over 50 members of the family go to the game. And not only was it an amazing experience, it was right after the Saints had come back from their suspension. Uh, you're talking about Sean Payton who had been suspended for Bounty Gate. The Superdome was bumping. And I knew for a fact that I was going to be able to go into the Superdome with my team and put on a show for my family, something that some of the New Orleans natives didn't quite understand. So to be able to go in my first game and have that experience, win that game, beat Drew Brees and New Orleans Saints, throw my first touchdown on an 80-yarder to Pierre Garçon and hit the quote-unquote griffining pose afterwards, uh, it's something that I'll never, ever forget. So it's funny that that, that kind of sparked that memory for me. But um, that is certainly something that I'm thankful for, that my first NFL game, I got to play in front of my entire family. I got to play in front of my grandma, uh, who passed away uh, a few years ago. And they all got to experience me get into the NFL and play at a high level in that way. I just have to say, before I move this conversation forward, just what I'm thankful for in my own life. And that's my family. Uh, everybody always asks you, what's your why? Uh, I've always asked people to, to know your why. Uh, and for me, that starts with my wife and kids. Uh, my wife, Grete Griffin, uh, she saved my life in 2016. Um, gave me something to fight for, uh, something to believe in. Uh, I'm a true, true hopeless romantic. And I felt hopeless in that time not only in my normal life, but also in my football career. And she gave me the energy uh, and the passion, and she was my muse to be able to go out uh, and play the game at a high level and continue to put myself out there and, and not be afraid to chase my dreams. Uh, when I was out of the league in 2017, she was there with me every step of the way, training with me every step of the way, making sure that I was mentally tough and, and mentally strong and there. And I know that without her, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I'm entirely grateful and thankful for everything that she's done for me, taught me how to love again, taught me how to be the best father that I can be, taught me how to be the best brother that I can be, the best son that I can be. So I'm thankful to her for that. And then to my daughters, uh, eight-year-old Reese, six-year-old Gloria, four-year-old Gamea, and 10-month-old Gia, everything that I do is for them. Um, the love that they show me every single time that I come home, uh, they run to daddy and they jump on my arms and my legs and all over my back. It's always felt, and I know that there's a lot of parents out there who do everything that they do in their lives for their kids and for their family. And when they grow up, I want them to know that it was appreciated, and I want them to know that everything that I ever did was to help them have a better life than I had growing up. I know that's every parent's dream, and I'm thankful to everyone who's listening to this and who supports this show. This show that you're giving me that opportunity to continue to make their lives better. And I hope that from this show, you learn something that can help you and your kids and you make their life better than the one that you had. That takes me right into the Denver Broncos. Now, on a previous episode, I talked about Sean Payton and Russell Wilson and, and what Sean Payton was doing wrong and how he was throwing his quarterback under the bus by openly talking to the media about what he thought his quarterback needed to be better at um, which is something that's supposed to stay inside the building. So when I look at what they've done now, they've gone on a four-game winning streak. They started the year one and five. Now they're five and five. 
And I have to give my kudos to Sean Payton. Sean Payton stopped talking to the media about other coaches. He stopped talking to the media about what his quarterback should or shouldn't be doing in a negative way. And he started coaching his tail off. We all know Sean Payton, the one from the New Orleans Saints who had Drew Brees and led them to a Super Bowl and reinvigorated that city after Hurricane Katrina. That's the Sean Payton that we've all grown to know and to love. The Sean Payton that started out the year with the Denver Broncos was the media Sean Payton. The Sean Payton that, that knew he had to give those interesting answers and maybe nitpick what somebody else had done or try to critique what someone else had done. And I think he finally understands now that he's no longer in the media. He is now a head coach again in the NFL. And that means you have to answer questions in a certain way. That means you have to protect your players in a certain way. When you're in the media, you're just talking and giving your insight. But when you're the head coach, you're the leader of men. So I had even said that if he continued to do what he was doing when they were one and five, that the locker room would eventually implode. And it hasn't because he stopped doing that and he started supporting his quarterback and he started supporting his defensive coordinator in Vance Joseph, who has completely turned around that defense led by Patrick Sertan II. So when I look at Russell Wilson, what he's been able to do, I do say to all of the Russell Wilson haters out there, what do you got to say now? What do you have to say now? When Russell was struggling last year with Nathaniel Hackett as his coach, everybody and their mama was coming from the hilltops, saying everything they possibly could about this man's character, about this man's family, and they didn't keep it to just the field. I even tweeted out and said, listen to what people are saying about Russell Wilson right now because they're truly showing you how they feel about the man, not the player. You can say whatever you want about Russell and, and, and how he runs his family and how he has his own energy and Broncos country, let's ride, and whatever that may be. Some people feel that that's corny. Some people feel like that's not genuine. Well, I know the Russell Wilson that I've grown to know over the past 11 years, that's exactly who he is. He's a, he's a, a genuine dude who loves football, who loves to support his family, and loves to support his teammates. So when I've seen him now have one of the best touchdown to interception ratios in the NFL with 19 touchdowns and four interceptions, it doesn't surprise me. You'll say, oh, well, this past game he had 90 yards of checkdowns. Well, if you know the game of football, you know that sometimes throwing the checkdown is the best option. Sometimes throwing the checkdown is the play to make. And if he throws 90 yards of checkdowns and throws one touchdown pass and his team wins the game, that sounds like a win in my book. So for Russell Wilson to be able to bounce back from all the turmoil from last year, all the turmoil from the first six games of this year, even though in that six-game stretch, he still had one of the best touchdown-to-interception ratios in the entire NFL. To me, that shows you the kind of man he is. It shows you the character that he has. And it shows you just how much those guys in that locker room believe in him and know that he was never the problem. So I'm happy for Russell Wilson. I'm glad that he has been resilient. I still remember him crying last year at the podium because he was so struck by the, the support that his teammates gave him through all of that hardship. Go back and watch that clip and look at the look on his face. That was the look of a man who knew, man, I've been through the ringer this year. I've never experienced turmoil quite like this. I've never experienced adversity quite like this when it feels like the world is caving in on me. And all that man did was come out and start showing us vintage Russell Wilson. The touchdown passes that he's had to Cortland Sutton the last two weeks in the end zone on off-schedule plays, 
those are a reminder of this is how great this guy is. This guy is a Hall of Fame quarterback. And just because he had one bad year, everybody was willing to throw him to the wolves. So now I don't hear anybody talking about it. But if you're going to talk about it, make sure your apology is just as loud as your disrespect was for Russell Wilson. Because right now he has the Denver Broncos in the playoff chase. And I know that amount of money for a quarterback like Russell, they shouldn't just be in the playoff chase. They should be in the the chase for the number one seed. Well, that's not their reality. But as a team, for them to be on a four-game winning streak and for him to be helping lead the way is quite amazing at this point in the year. And that Denver Broncos team is starting to look like those Seattle Seahawks teams that he led to the Super Bowl twice. Great defense, nice running game, and Russell making off-schedule plays. The Denver Broncos look like they're going to be a problem here late in the year. That's a wrap for episode 10 of RG3 and the Ones. Thank you to Barry Sanders for joining the show. Also want to say thank you to Heisman frontrunner Jaden Daniels from the LSU Tigers for joining the show as well. I want to say happy Thanksgiving to everybody that's tuned into this show. And for Thanksgiving, I want to say thank you guys for liking and subscribing to our YouTube page. This show would not be possible. RG3 and the Ones would not be possible without Way Sports and Entertainment, my producers over there at Way Sports and Entertainment, in conjunction with Whispering Oaks Productions. I thank you guys for all the hard work you put in. Everybody that's a part of this team is truly valued. And I want to say thank you to everybody that's listening for liking and subscribing to our YouTube page, but also following us on social media at RG3 and the Ones. Like I've told you before, we're going to have new episodes drop every single Thursday. And if you follow us on social media, you'll be able to get those daily clips to get you geared up and ready for the episodes that are about to drop. Once again, as I said before, guys, try to build a life for your kids that's better than the life that you had growing up and make sure that you tell everybody in your life that means something to you, that you love them and you appreciate them while you still have a chance. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you guys next week. Peace out. (laughs) 